Hello and welcome to another edition of Hawk Off the Press. I'm your host, Hawkeye football reporter, John Steppy. It's a big week this week. Number three, Iowa. Number four, Penn State. So a lot to talk about. And my first guest is Ben Jones from statecollege.com to talk about the Penn State perspective of things. Ben, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So first of all, for someone who maybe hasn't seen much of Penn State, who might be watching or listening, what's kind of the scouting report you would give on this now 5-0 and Penn State team? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is it really starts on defense for Penn State. I mean, they've they pitched a shutout. I mean, it, pitching a shutout doesn't really make sense because it's football, but people like to say it anyway. They, they pitched a shutout last week against Indiana. Um, they've just been really stout. They, they've got a great secondary, um, solid linebackers. They don't give up a lot of chunk plays, don't give up a lot of points. Um, and that's really been the backbone for Penn State this year. And their offense has come along nicely, uh, especially in comparison to 2020. They've got a new offensive coordinator and, uh, and Mike Yersich after having Kirk Shiraka last season. Um, so I think Sean Clifford's played a lot better, a lot smarter. Jahan Dotson is, for my money, you know, it's, it's hard to really pick the best receiver or any best skill position player in the country, but I say he's certainly in that conversation as uh, one of the best receivers in the nation. So he, he really goes as they go. The running game hasn't quite found itself yet, but all in all, they've got a balanced attack. They've got the ability to spread the ball out offensively um, to a lot of different receivers. The defense is really good. So it's a complete football team. And, you know, are they the fourth best team in the country? You know, we're going to find out over the next couple of weeks because the Big Ten East is so good this year. Um, but certainly at this point, they're playing as well as anyone and their resume is as good as anyone. And you were talking about Sean Clifford there. It seemed like he had a little bit of an iffy game against Indiana. But before that, it seemed like he was kind of having one of the best first four games of any Big Ten quarterback. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that he's been up and down throughout his career. In 2019, he was really good as Penn State went on to only lose, uh, you know, the two regular season games against uh, Ohio State and Minnesota. Um, last year, he really struggled with turnovers, struggled with mistakes, struggled really just kind of getting a good feel for things, ended up getting benched at one point, ended up losing a start at one point. And this year, I think he's come back, um, especially under Mike Yersich, played a lot more um, consistently, played a lot smarter. He has three interceptions to his name. One of them was basically an arm punt at the end of the first half against Auburn. The other one was a bobbled catch that just got popped up in the air and was intercepted. So really the interception that he had against Indiana was the first one that was just a throw that he'd probably like to have back. So I think, Oh, wow. He's done a, you know, he's done a good job avoiding the big mistakes. He's done a good job finding Parker Washington, finding his tight ends, finding Jahan Dotson um, and letting them do the rest of the work. So I think because of that, um, you know, he's really had, you know, Indiana was not flashy, um, but at the same time, when he threw for over 400 yards against Villanova, a lot of that was yards after the catch. So there's a lot of different ways to get your number. And I think, um, he's done a good job with his arm. He's done a good job with his legs. And really, he's done a good job between the ears, which I think is the biggest thing for him. And I'm sure it helps when you do have a receiver like Dotson. I was surprised as I was kind of doing some research, seeing Mel Kuyper saying he's the eighth best prospect of this 2022 draft class. Yeah, I mean, you know, those things will work themselves out at the end of the day, kind of figure out where exactly he is. But I think, you know, he has up until uh, this last game, he had caught everything that was thrown at him in terms of anything that had hit him in the hands. He didn't have a drop all year. He's over 30 catches now. 
Um, he's super, super smooth. He's super reliable. Um, he's faster than he looks. I think, um, you know, they said that they clocked him as a, at a four, three, three over the off season, but those things, you know, hand times and lasers and wearing full pads and not those things kind of are variables that are hard to judge, but yeah, I mean, Jahan Dotson is the complete package. He has speed. He's got great hands. He runs great routes. He's smooth. He's smart. Um, there's not a lot about him. He could maybe be a little bit taller, but other than that, um, you know, he's pretty much the the perfect receiver and he's played that way so far this year for Penn state. Has there been anything that an opposing secondary has done to really limit him? Or is he just one of those that you can kind of slow him down, but not really stop him? Yeah. I mean, I think the big thing is that he's going to get so many targets in a game um, that, you, you know, it's eventually he's going to get his, he's sort of like, you know, the, to, to make a basketball comparison, you know, there's a lot of guys in the big 10 that you can, you can slow them down for a little bit, but eventually they're going to get their buckets. Um, and I think, you know, Luca Garza to, to bring it all together is a good example <laughs> of a guy that maybe you can try and be physical with him in the paint, but you know that he's going to get his. And I think Jahan Dotson obviously is a lot smaller um, and plays a different sport, but he gets so many <laughs> targets. And I, I think the big thing too, is that, you know, Keandre Lambert Smith's come on a little bit this year as the third option. Parker Washington has been a good second option and on a lot of Penn state teams might've been the first option. So I think the thing is you can try and take Jahan out of the equation. You can try and slow him down and teams have done that a little bit, um, but Parker's going to beat you. Penn state's tight ends and Brenton strange in particular is going to beat you. So it's one of those things where you can slow him down, but there's other options on the field that, you know, if you double team one guy, somebody's going to be open. So I think it's, it's one of those pick your poison situations. Um, and, and certainly the number of targets that Jahan gets any given day or any given game rather is, is one of those things that really leads to his effectiveness. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will appreciate that Luca Garza comparison. So then kind of switching gears defensively, I was watching a little bit of the Indiana game and it seemed like, this defensive line, it isn't necessarily at the top in terms of stack numbers, but they still pressure the quarterback and kind of force maybe some not so great throws to that pressure. Yeah. I mean, they, they've been consistently, you know, in the quarterback's face all year. I think, you know, Temple transfer Arnold Ebiketti has been fantastic for them at defensive end. He is really He's one of those guys that's going to play one year at Penn State, and then every time Sunday night football comes up when he's in the NFL, people are going to wait and see if he says Penn State or Temple because he's really just a product of playing a lot of football. He is, <laughs> he's been fantastic, um, but he's a guy, too, that I think is a great example of getting pressure being almost as valuable as, as getting sacks. I mean, obviously, they're different kinds of plays, but he has been in the backfield all year long. He gave Bo Nix. Uh, the time of his life running for his life um, against Auburn, but never ended up getting a sack. Nick Tarburton's been good. Really that entire defensive front um, his is PJ Mustafer. They, they've just, they get in the backfield, they cause problems. And that's been huge because, you know, I'm sure we'll get to it eventually, but Penn State secondary is eighth in the country and passes deflected. They've had a handful of interceptions that have been dropped and even more that have gotten picked off. And I think, you know, if you can get into quarterback's face and make him hurry and make him rushed and not make him comfortable, you know, that can benefit you in so many other ways down the field. And I think that's really the strength of that Penn State defense up front is the ability to not let the quarterback, even if they don't get the sack, um, feel comfortable in the pocket for very long. And you just brought up the next thing I was going to ask about where it'll be an interesting matchup. Spencer Petrus, who prior to the um, Colorado State game had 167 throws without an interception. 
now going up against one of the what sounds like one of the top secondaries in all of college football. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing for Penn State secondary is there's not an obvious guy to pick on. I think any college football team, for the most part, you're going to have one guy that's maybe your weak link at whatever position. It just, or maybe just not the best guy, and and maybe that's Daquan Hardy um, at safety, simply because he hasn't played as much football. But you know, you look at corners. Um, they've got Joey Porter Jr., Tariq Castro Fields, Jaquan Brisker. For my money, is one of the best safeties in America. Um, and is a guy that can really, you know, make an impact in the backfield as much as he can make it in coverage, um, you know, and, and then they've rotated a couple different guys at that other spot um, at safety. There's just really not a weak link. They get their hands on balls. They get in your face on coverage. Um, you know, every once in a while you can beat them, but that's true for any good player or any good set of players. I think, you know, this is probably top to bottom one of the better Penn State secondaries that they've had, certainly under James Franklin. And I think that you would have to look back a ways in terms of, you know, all four or five guys and the quality that they bring, really finding a lot of Penn State secondaries that have been as good as this one. Obviously, there's a lot of football left to be played against a lot of good teams. So we're going to find out how big, good they really are. But on paper, um, yeah, I mean, I think the secondary is, is going to be a pain for any team that really wants to throw the ball. And I think you saw that against Indiana, um, where, you know, Indiana's had some struggles offensively, but that's always been a team that likes to throw the ball and throw the ball a lot. And Penn State secondary, you know, in the first two drives, I think they were up to five pass deflections. Um, they only ended up with six over the course of the game, um, but it was definitely an example of how pretty much all of these guys can get their hand on the football. Even if they don't get an interception, they're certainly going to break that pass up. And then what's the level of optimism around this program? It's kind of funny before the Maryland game, at least among the fan base, it seemed to be at Iowa, maybe the most pessimistic that I've seen a top five football program because kind of there's this disbelief of, wow, based on the Colorado State and Kent State games, we're number five in the country. Do you see kind of the, yeah, we're a top five program or is there still kind of that hesitancy to see, okay, is this Penn State team really for real? Yeah, I think there's some optimism, but I do think there's a fair amount of, you know, I guess everybody's going to see, you know, I think the nice thing about this Big Ten schedule, especially for Penn State, you know, they opened at Wisconsin, won that game, but they've got Ohio State on the road. They've got Iowa on the road, as you know, obviously know, they still got to play Michigan, they've got to play at Michigan State. Um, and then Maryland and Rutgers have been you know, still kind of Maryland and Rutgers, but a more difficult version of themselves. So I don't really think that there is a week left on the schedule. It may be Illinois because that's homecoming um, that, that feels easy. So I think that there are a lot of fans that look at Penn State's defense and go, that's a top five, that's a top four defense. And I think that's probably true. You know, there might be better, uh, more overwhelming defenses in one area or another, but there's really not a weakness on that defense. And they play pretty much the same way every single series. Um, so I think, you know, there's a lot of fans that feel that defense is top five, um, or good enough to make your team top five offensively. I think they have the playmakers that give fans confidence in the passing game. I think the issue has been, they've not run the ball particularly well, um, on a consistent basis. And even if you want to be, uh, mostly a passing attack, you're not going to win in the big 10, um, without a running game. You're not going to win in these crucial situations where Penn State struggled a little bit in short yardage. Um, and really, you know, pounding the ball when they absolutely have to. So I think things like that, if Penn State gets better at those things, I think fans will buy into it a little bit. But the fact that they haven't run the ball consistently, the fact they've struggled a little bit in short yardage, and the fact that the schedule is what it is, um, you know, I think there's a little bit of, I guess we'll just all have to wait and see. And thankfully, that's why they play the game, so we don't have to <laughs> guess. 
Yeah, it sounds like not really the most forgiving schedule there, where compared to Iowa, where they get to then play almost entirely Big Ten West after this. Actually, now I think about it, is entirely Big Ten West after this, where there really isn't a great second team after Iowa. That It's an interesting year for the Big Ten East, for sure. Yeah, and I think to a certain extent, I mean, we'll see how it all shakes out. And Penn State, you know, not making the playoffs in 2016 when they beat Ohio State and won the Big Ten and still got snubbed, I think has made people a little uh, leery of saying that losing is ever okay. But I think, you know, it's to a certain extent, this is a bigger resume game for Iowa than it is for Penn State. Not because, you know, obviously you beat the third or fourth ranked team in the country, that's going to help you. Um, But I think if Penn State loses this game, they still got Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. Um, and then the rest of the, the slate around that on their schedule, um, you know, so I think there's an opportunity for them to make up some lost ground if they lose that game. But again, it's college football. The longer you can go undefeated, the better off you are. Um, but certainly it is a weird year in the East. I mean, I think the Big Ten East is, you know, obviously it's a different conversation to have, but I think has been the better side of the conference since they've kind of made that division. There have been years mm-hmm. of the Iowa's and Minnesota's and maybe you sneak a Purdue in there from time to time where, they put up a pretty good fight, but I think Penn State's perspective is obviously you want to win this week, but at the same time, if you lose, uh, maybe the season's not quite as over as much as people might say. Yeah, and especially looking at Iowa's schedule, I think a lot of people are looking forward to that game at Wisconsin, but Wisconsin seems to be in kind of a free fall there with, I mean, Graham Hurts, not exactly quarterback of the year material, like people are maybe saying in Madison before that. So do you have, it's obviously still early. Do you have a prediction for a score on Saturday? Um, yeah, that's a good question. And obviously I don't know how I forgot Wisconsin because Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, doing Wisconsin things for years now, but yeah, I mean, that's an obvious. Uh, it's almost like they're taken for granted because exactly, most like, years they just do it so often. Yeah. It's just like Wisconsin and then the rest of the division <laughs> take your pick. So it was just assumed, but yeah, I mean, I I've been to Iowa a couple of times. It's one of my favorite places to watch a game. I think that atmosphere is, you know, vastly underrated nationally. And I think it, it is, you know, I'm fortunate enough that I've been to a million Penn state football games. I've been to every whiteout I've seen, you know, this grand spectacle that is the Penn state football experience. And they're, they're not paying me to say that it just, it's sort of, it is, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, um, but Iowa, I think is what college football is all about. They're right on top of you. It's big, but it's not too big. It's loud. And it's always loud. Um, it is as tough of a place to play, I, I think, as there is. Um, so, you know, I don't expect Penn State to, to blow anybody out. I don't expect Iowa to blow anybody out. This is going to be every Penn State-Iowa game that you think of in that sort of cliche way of, you know, two guys punching each other in the face repeatedly. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's tough. You know, it's tough to come up with a score prediction. I'm turning this into a TED talk a little bit. But, you know, I I think when you've got two teams that are pretty similar, you pick the home team. Um, Mm -hmm. I think when you've got two teams that have pretty good defenses, you pick the home team. Um, I think Iowa's going to win. But it wouldn't surprise me if Penn State did. I think they've got the skill position guys, and they've got the defense that's going to keep them in every single game. And I don't think Iowa's going to drop 40 on them which means that, you know, as long as they're still in the game, they've got a chance. It's a big moment for Jahan Dotson. It's a big moment for Sean Clifford. Um, But we've seen Iowa take better Penn State teams than this one to the wire in Iowa City. So, you know, if it comes down to another Trace McSorley, Sean, or Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley drive to rip the hearts out of a bunch of people, you know, 
you know, I suppose Iowa fans can be glad that neither of those guys are still on the team. <laughs> well, you're really endearing yourself to Iowa fans here. First, the Luca Garza comparison, then the high praise for the Kinnick environment, and then the Iowa prediction. So yeah. I don't know if you're traveling to Iowa City this weekend, <laughs> but if so, you might not have to buy a drink. Yeah, exactly. I'll be there and I'm expecting the checks to be in the mail and the beers to be cold. So I'm not asking for much. <laughs> well, for anyone who wants to follow your work, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, I mean, I, all my coverage can be found at statecollege.com. And if you want to tweet angry or happy things at me, um, I'm at Ben underscore Jones 88. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the best place to shout at me. Great. Well, thanks again for the time today. Yep. Thanks for having me, man. The next guest on the Hawk Off the Press podcast is Iowa News Now sports anchor and a good friend, Grant Becker. Grant, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast, John. We're going to have some real Marquette energy on this Iowa podcast. Yes. For those of you that don't know, I've known Grant longer than I've known anyone else in this state, actually, for that matter. Back when I was a young, energetic freshman at Marquette, as I was the freshman reporter, Grant was the assistant sports editor for the student media outlet. So what was that, five years ago now? Yeah, yeah, it would be. That's kind of crazy to think about. <laughs> I feel like the oldest 23-year-old ever now. Hey, look at you. Look at you here at 23. You're cruising. <laughs> well, I'm assuming our listeners want to hear more about Iowa and less about Marquette. So switching gears here, as much as I'd love to talk Marquette. Big game this week, number three, Iowa, number four, Penn State. Biggest game probably at Kinnick since 1985. Yeah, it's funny because I spent the whole basketball season saying this is the biggest game since, oh, this is the biggest game since, biggest home game, biggest road game since. <laughs> and here we are in football again. We were talking about the biggest Cyhawk game since the existence of the Cyhawk game. And now here we are talking about the biggest Big Ten game that doesn't involve Ohio and Michigan State since our parents were children, you know, I mean, it's, it's as, it's, it's as big as it gets. And um, I think it's a, a huge turning point for this program too. I mean, obviously the consequences of a loss in big 10 play would not be that severe when you look around what's happening in the big 10 West right now, but you're talking about a team with legitimate playoff aspirations and, you know, the kind of thing that can propel you going forward. You win a game like this, you become the Kings of the big 10 West. You can be in that driver's seat that Wisconsin has been in. I think there's a million things to talk about in this game that are awesome. And it starts with, this is the biggest Iowa home game since, yeah, 1985. And it's interesting about kind of how much I think the trajectory can change based on what happens. You win and you have to think everyone, well, the program won't be talking about this because it's kind of signature Kirk Ferentz yeah. to say the rankings don't matter. We don't look at that, even though it's funny if you look at the players' Instagram stories almost well I shouldn't say almost all of them because I didn't do a scientific study of how many out of the hundred on the roster but I saw quite a few people sharing that graphic of number three in the nation so it's funny yeah rankings are really not paying attention to that it really doesn't matter in reality we know it does and you win this they have a pretty good resume now you can't afford to lose to a Purdue or something like that, things can still happen. It's 
no given if you win this, but it certainly puts you in the picture for college football playoff conversations. And I think a loss is a lot tougher where you look at that. You don't have too many other chances to get a marquee win like this that can kind of, you have the big 10 championship game, but the big 10 West this year, man, you don't get many quality wins on the resume. Yeah, it is. It is tricky in that way. The margin for error is pretty thin in terms of the college football playoff. Yeah. Maybe you could go in the back door with Clemson looking weak and I don't know, you know, Notre Dame may not be a contender. You would need a Cincinnati to slip up here and there. You already saw Oregon slip up. So yeah, potentially there may be, maybe Ohio state rallies becomes the big tennis champion. And if you're the team that can go to the big 10 title game and beat them, maybe that's the way in the back door there. But what I was focused on is not the college football playoff. They're focused on getting themselves into that championship game, whoever it is that they play. And in terms of that goal, this is really the game where you can afford to slip up. You've already taken care of your first two cross division opponents and now you're looking at a team that's also ranked in the top five. Really, the consequences of a loss here aren't that big, but the benefits of a win are dramatic. And oh, yeah. really, I think one of the most interesting things that could happen if we win is we, we may finally get to hear Kirk Ferentz talk about the college football playoff, because frankly, <laughs> it's not something that there is really a willingness to talk about or a focus on. And even then, I think we'd be get, getting dismissed as well. We're focused on the rest of our Big Ten season and in particular Purdue, because that's who's up next week. I expect to hear next week. We're going to want to talk about Purdue no matter what happened in this game. And part of that is why they're in the position that they're in is that Kirk Mm -hmm. has been through all of this. He's seen teams that maybe buy into a little bit of their own hype. And he has told us at every Tuesday press conference and after every single win, I still don't know quite how good this football team is. Yeah. He said it again on Friday after winning by 37. And and I think it's a fair question because in every one of these games, you can look at things that happen and say, well, is that going to keep happening? How much can we learn? And I think when, it looked like it was going to be a back and forth game. And then Maryland's best offensive player rips up his knee and drops the ball in the process, handing Iowa its second touchdown in 50 seconds. Now, what you can say about this team is that when they're handed an advantage in a football game, they press that edge. And that's what great teams do. They take advantage of all of the fortunate things that happen to them. But at some point we're going to see them play a good team and things aren't going to go their way. And we've seen them win games that way in the past. And we've seen them lose games that way in the past. And so I think when Kirk says he doesn't know quite how good this football team is, it's because no one really knows. <laughs> but we know they're very good, and we know that they're capable of beating anybody that they play. And I think you have the same questions about Penn State. Yeah. So both of these teams have a ton to learn this week, and, and I think that's super exciting. That's This is a small sample size sport, and so any opportunity we get, you know, it, it feels like a little bit of a waste when, when you have to see both of these teams, or a team like this and a team like Maryland, play Kent State. We get much <laughs> more information when these two teams play each other, and, and that's, that's huge on Saturday. Yeah, because it's hard for a power five team as much as they say hey we're just focused on one game at a time it's hard to kind of get oh man we are playing kent state this week wow this is gonna be a great game yeah it's that's a little hard it is and i, and I want against colorado from, state yeah yeah and, and fortunately in the colorado state game i actually think we learned about as much as we learned in any individual game about this team this season because we finally had to see them do the hard thing and come back from down to touchdown play from behind. Things weren't going your way. How do you change things up? And I thought that was an impressive response. Now I want to see them do that against a team that is better than Colorado (laughs) State, a team that they are not favored by 23 points against. Yeah, the margin for error is a lot smaller against a Penn stage than a Colorado stage. That's just kind of the matter of the way it is, where you're probably also have less mistakes from a Penn state. Even when you look at Maryland, 
looking back at some of those turnovers, some of those are just bad decisions by Talia. Let's see if I can pronounce his name on the first try. Tongo Vailoa. I think I got it there. I think you did, yeah. I was practicing. So that those were some just bad throws. And you can say, well, Iowa's pressure probably changed some of that decision-making. So there's maybe some of that. But still, in the long run, those are mistakes made there by Talia that, you know, some of those, okay, the Iowa player was in the right spot at the right time. And now I would say at the same time, if I was looking at this game from the Penn State angle, you're thinking, boy, is this dangerous because Sean Clifford has been a questionable decision maker at times. And we really saw the full Sean Clifford experience when Iowa went out to Penn State last year. He did not start that game. Iowa takes a big lead. They say, you know what? We got nothing to lose. They put Sean Clifford back in. He throws, I believe he threw touchdown passes on his first two passes or on his first three passes. And then he managed to turn the ball over on the next two possessions. So he went touchdown, touchdown, turnover, turnover. And frankly, he is an unreliable quarterback at this point. He has not proven to be the kind of guy who can come into a game and say, oh, okay, Iowa capitalizes on mistakes. How about I don't make any mistakes? Let's be a little bit more conservative today. We have not seen that from Sean Clifford. And so I think he's the exact kind of guy that if we talk to Riley Moss tomorrow, he's going to say, I, I, you know what? I can't wait to play against Sean Clifford because he throws a 50-50 ball. He said it about Michael Penix. We know that Brock Purdy does that. And I can tell you, Sean Clifford is another one of those guys who's accomplished even less than those two. So, you know, I think this is another time they're going to be chomping at the bit this, this secondary. And Jack Campbell said it last week. We want to make Maryland throw the ball. Well, Maryland had one of the best passing attacks in the entire country. <laughs> you sure you want to make them throw the ball? Turns out they were right. They, they did yeah, want to make that worked out pretty through, well through six interceptions. And I think that's going to be the game plan again this week. It's weird to say, yeah, the formula from last week where we somehow wound up with six interceptions, which is not sustainable at all, is no. the recipe again this week. But, but it has to be. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Sean Clifford threw four interceptions this weekend because they are capable of making that happen. But you mentioned the pressure. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to get pressure on Clifford than it was on Tonga Vailoa. Penn State just has more talent in the trenches than Maryland does. But I mean, this, this defensive line has been impressive every single week. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I can see this one being another one of those games where we think, Oh, it's going to be close. And then Sean Clifford throws two first quarter interceptions and we're in the same situation. Yeah. It could easily happen again. And I think it helps Clifford that his numbers have been a little better this year. He's had a different offensive coordinator and that seems to be going a little better. And it seems like some of the interceptions he's thrown this year have just been things kind of out of his control. So that helps. But also when you're going up against the Indiana secondary or the Iowa secondary, the Iowa secondary is a bigger test there. Yeah. And I mean, Indiana is no slouch, but it, it is, it is definitely a different Sean Clifford. And, and he has a lot more support from the rest of his team this year than he did last year. Just the rest of that roster is performing at a much higher level. Last year was this weird out of nowhere, complete disaster season for Penn state that I don't think anybody could have seen coming. And you can almost no. write off everything you saw from them last season, but you know, I still, I don't have that much faith in Sean Clifford as a guy to go out and win you games. And the Iowa defense is going to force you to go out and do that. So, you know, I, I think we're looking at a situation here where the quarterback edge is not, is not in Penn state's hands. I don't know if Iowa has a significant edge there, but um, mm -hmm. I, I certainly don't think this is one where you can check that box for Penn state. And I think coming into the season, they were hoping that, that they would have that edge in this game. And I think it might just be a matter of, okay, do we see 2020 Sean Clifford or 2021 Sean Clifford? And that could really be what goes a long ways in deciding this game. Yeah. And I think when you talk about NFL football, a lot of the time, 
the offense dictates how much the defense can do to it. And in college football, it's a little bit different than that. Defenses can dictate what the offenses can do, depending on how talented the defenses are. And so far, this Iowa defense has been able to dictate what's happening to the other offense. And what has happened is that everyone has reverted to the worst versions of themselves at the quarterback <laughs> position against this Iowa defense. And I think that there's a bad quarterback inside of Sean Clifford somewhere. He's been doing a good job this year, keeping that guy away. But the Iowa defense will find that guy in you. So then the question is, what can Iowa's offense do against this Penn State defense? Because got a great defense. Yeah, and kind of switching gears there offensively, it seems like Spencer Petrus has been showing more and more each week. It's funny, earlier in the season, see the tweets of, oh, bench Petrus, bench Petrus. When he got the accolades that he got this week, yeah, I, I'm not seeing anybody telling me that they should bench Petrus. They did see Alex Padilla because Petrus was doing so well that they didn't need him playing. Not necessarily the way that a lot of fans saw it coming, but kind of does he continue to see that progression? I think could also be a really big influence. I mean, Iowa has a great secondary, as we talked about. So does Penn State. They've forced a lot of turnovers. They get some good pressure up front, too. So I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup. Yeah, and I think the, the Spencer Petrus progression question is an interesting one because I don't even know has he progressed a ton or did he just start the season not having to do so much? And then they've asked mm-hmm. him to do a little bit more. Cause I think when you look at everything that Kirk Ferentz has said about Spencer Petrus, what his teammates have said about him and what he said about his own performance through four weeks, his evaluation of himself had been, you no, know, we're everyone's evaluation was he's doing what we're asking him to do. He yeah. made one, one throw that, that they would like to take back, which is that interception against Colorado state. But outside of that, I think he's executed what they want him to do. Yeah, there are areas where he better he could be a little bit tighter in some of these. Uh, you know, against Maryland, even he could have attacked some of those one on ones earlier. He had a lot of guys in man coverage, and those throws were just a little bit off. But mm-hmm. every game, I think he's kind of built his way into the game and gotten a little bit better. Now we're starting to see them attack deep a little bit more. And yeah. uh, I actually think that at the start of the season, I thought the run game will help Spencer Petrus a ton. I think right now he is helping the run game more than the run game is helping him. Um, <laughs> And, and, yeah, and when you, you look at the these, stats, yeah, it and you seemed these like Maryland was Sorry. the better day for the running game. And then you look at the stats, and it was three and a half yards per carry. That's considered – and granted, they did have some nice runs at kind of key times. And Tyra Goodson's big pass reception was practically a run play. Most of it was him being truly a running back. But, yeah – the running game hasn't been doing him too many favors, certainly compared to what we expected a month ago. Yeah, and I think that, that is one of those things that that should come along. I, I do trust. We wondered, how would this defensive line come along this season? Well, the defensive line got there right away. But every season, that defensive line has improved. And the offensive line needs to do that this season. And we knew coming in with a young group of guys that that was going to have to be the case. Now it looks like we're going to see a lot more Kyler shot as we go forward. That's going to be helpful. But yeah, I mean... And, and really, I think it was a lot on the line this week because you saw Tyler Goodson make some incredible plays in situations where he probably should have been losing yards and he somehow turned them into, <laughs> even if it was just getting across the line, there were other times where he's gaining 15 yards. It doesn't always have to be that. If he can mitigate a three-yard loss and turn it into a one-yard gain, you know, there's, there's four yards that he just netted for the team. And I think he really showed this week, okay, I, I'm going to take control of this situation a little bit and I'm going to push this forward. And like you said, 3.5 yards per carry, it's not great. They, they want to be up in that five plus range. They're capable of doing that. This probably isn't the week where that changes. I do think they're going to have to put the ball back in Spencer Petrus's hands and let him do some damage. But, you know, I think we're starting to see 
the whole offense flow, even if the run game isn't super effective. Like you mentioned, the, the long Tyler Goodson catch being sort of a run play. They have a lot of that in their offense, a lot of these screen passes. I mean, the touchdown that Laporta caught that got called back. I mean, what a brilliant play, brilliant execution. Oh, yeah. I mean, Laporta's commitment to the bit there and and then showing off his athleticism. And I mean, we know he's an athletic guy, but I think that was one of the more impressive. And he did it again going the other way, too. I mean, this offense has a rhythm. It knows what it is. And it's not Ohio State's offense. It's not Alabama's offense. But it is an offense that has now won – what are we at six, five, 11 straight games? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, they know what they're math there. The whole, yeah. oh, there's no math in journalism. There's a lot of math in journalism. <laughs> we just usually don't do it. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, I mean, Laporta, tight end you, as George Kittle said on Sunday night football before, of course, he and the 49ers lost my beloved Packers. Not to rub that into the face of a Vikings fan. I would, Never do that. Doesn't sound like a Packer fan to do that at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, any score prediction here for Saturday? I've been I've been pretty off on the score predictions, other than the Kent State game. But <laughs> you know, I'll take a stab at it. I think, I mean, 24-23 Iowa. I think I give them a slight edge. I think they are correct to be favored. I think it is going to be extremely tight. I've said that in a bunch of games that have wound up being blowouts this year, Indiana, Iowa State, and then Maryland. So if I say this again, that it's going to be a tight game in the fourth quarter and Iowa pulls away, I won't be surprised. But I think that um, Penn State is in a different tier than any team that Iowa has played this year. I also think Indiana and Iowa State are a little bit better than their rankings reflect right now, but not as good as their rankings were at the start of the season. Yeah, uh, this is this is the ultimate test that we've seen so far. And I think that this is the best team that's on Iowa's schedule this season. And I thought there was a chance of that at the beginning of the year. And I'm now I'm certain about that because there's no way that Wisconsin is better. <laughs> we've seen some of these other big 10 West teams that tend to be decent. Minnesota lost to Bowling Green. Northwestern's a complete mess. Yes, Nebraska, the complete mess might West. be an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is this is the last time we're really going to get to see again. Iowa play against a team that is on its level. And so. I, I think that they're a little bit aware of that. Um, and, and I just think, I think they've handled everything really well to this point. And I, I think it'd be silly right now to bet against them, but, but I do think Penn state is very good. Well-coached team, a lot of talent all over the place. So I'll call it a one point Iowa win somewhere in the twenties. Now, see, I was pretty much dead wrong on Maryland. I still said Iowa is going to win, but I was going to say it's me 27, 21. Mm-hmm. That obviously wasn't quite the case. I was off by, I don't know, 31 points in terms of the margin of victory. So there is that chance that a couple of quick turnovers happen. Iowa pulls away. I think this is going to be kind of grinded out going down to the final possession game as well. I just think we're going to see two of the best defenses in the country. And I think this could really be a defense heavy game because Clifford, as you've mentioned, is not a perfect quarterback. Petrus He's shown more. He's shown that deep ball, but against the secondary of I mean, Penn State's stature, I don't know if that stands up. So I think we're going to see a lot of defense. I think, though, right now, and I could change my mind, but right now I'm thinking Iowa 24, Penn State 21. So pretty close to what you're thinking, too. Yeah, right in the same neighborhood. I, I think you're right on there, though, that the difference here really is I think it's Spencer Petrus and Sean Clifford. When, if Iowa asks Spencer Petrus, we need to rein it in, 
no interceptions, no turnovers, don't put the ball in harm's way. We know now he can do that job. Oh, He's yeah. Done that job that short pass right. game that we saw the first couple of weeks really worked out well. And I think that that's what Sean Clifford needs to do this week. And he has not proven the ability to do that nearly as much as Spencer Petras. And so if, if I have to pick something that's going to decide the game, I'll say that right there, which is also to say Iowa's defense is going to be opportunistic. Yeah. No, and we're seeing Jack Campbell continue to shine. You look at that defensive line that really started the year really young. Well, still is young, but they've shown a lot of progression. And then, of course, you have the secondary that, yeah, I think that's going to give Maryland some nightmares from that game on Friday. So it'll be a great game. You can follow Grant's work on Twitter at TV. Grant, thanks for joining me. Appreciate you having me on, John. Excited so, to see you work on the beat. Yes, the two Marquette people here in the Kinnick press box. Absolutely. So I can sneak th- my way up there. Say that again. If I can sneak my way up there on Saturday, game day. Oh yeah, that's easy. right. I stay keep on thinking of this from the you know print digital world of oh yeah, just up in the press box. You're kind of schlopping away there, having to shoot everything too during the game. Yeah, hopefully I won't be so, so sweaty this week. Shouldn't be nearly as hot this time around. So. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice getting a little more fall weather here. Maryland, it was kind of that nice, crisp fall air. It was helpful because Maryland left the credentials for me and my colleague, Mike Kloss, like a good half mile away from the stadium. So it was okay. a good thing that it was a nice day because – I ended, I think it was with 20,000 something steps. So that was a, that was a full day there. So yeah. Well, Grant, I will see you on, well, I'll see you at availabilities this week. And then again on Saturday for the big game. Looking forward to it, John. Take care. You too. Thank you for listening to the Hawk off the press podcast. We'll be back for an edition of After the Final Score, Saturday after the game.